Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Stephanie. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word together? Let's pray. Father, we pause before you and we just still our hearts before you and we would ask that in these next moments as we consider your word, uh, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, because Lord, we need, we need to be changed. Uh, we need you to speak to us. We need to see Jesus. We need to be set free. We need to behold your glory. And all of these happen through the power of your word and the working of your Holy Spirit. And so that is what we ask. Lord, that these would not just merely be my words and my thoughts. Lord, that's not what we need. We need you. We need you to come and work in our hearts through your powerful word. We ask you to do that now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week, we were in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning, at the end of Acts chapter 2, and we've been walking through the book of Acts and just looking at this picture of God's Spirit moving to revive His church. And um, the passage that we looked at last week was this picture of the early church. There's a beautiful, very vivid picture that really highlights their relationships with each other in the church. And we see their unity and their love for each other. And it's very compelling and challenging for us as the church. Today, I wanted to continue to look at that theme, that picture of what is the church called to be, what are our relationships to look like in the church. But I also wanted to talk about that in light of all that we see happening in our world today. All of the division that is surrounding us everywhere in our culture right now. And so I wanted to look at this passage in the book of Ephesians. 
So that is the reality that we find ourselves in our culture right now. It is more divided right now in our culture than I've ever experienced it to be. And I know that there's been times in history where it's maybe been more divided, but just personally from my life, this is divided as I've ever seen it. You know, unless you've been under a rock, if you are aware at all, you know that right now our country is incredibly divided, and divided over just about everything. Divided even over the wearing of masks, right? I talked about this whenever we were just starting to come back together as a church. One of our concerns as a leadership, we said, you know, the governor of the state of Georgia has recommended masks, so we're going to recommend masks in that way, but we're not going to require them. We recognize some people would choose not to wear masks, and some would choose to wear masks, and and we're not going to let this divide us. And, and one of the things that I said before we ever got back together is I said, hey, we got to be on guard against mask righteousness. You know what that is? Either I'm more righteous because I'm wearing a mask or I'm more righteous because I'm not wearing a mask. And we might say, what, what are we even talking about? Well, that's where we're at. That's the reality of our day, that something like the wearing of a mask causes such great division. We're being divided over everything. We're being divided over politics. I mean, things are so politically divided at this moment. And you've got to pick a side, our culture says. You've got to pick a side, and if you're not a part of this camp, you've got to be a part of this camp, and you've got to be fully committed to it. And it's just bewildering to see all of these divisions that are fracturing our culture. And then, just in the past couple weeks, this reality of the racial unrest in our country. That, that personally, as I've shared a number of times, is, is really personally impacting me and leading me to ask some really hard and difficult questions about my own life. I mean, I had some conversations this past week with, with uh, a black pastor who's a friend of mine. And it was incredibly eye-opening for me. But as we look at our culture, we see over race we're divided, all these different areas, and even how to respond to race, even how to respond to the things that are happening. Literally everything is a cause for division, to get into this camp or that camp. And the problem is not just that we're, we have different points of view, The problem, what's causing the division, is that we are being led to feel superior because of our point of view. It's not just that we disagree on things, it's that we feel superior, we feel uh, more righteous because of our particular point of view. And when that begins to happen, division begins to go deep. And that's a part of what's happening in our culture right now. We've lost the ability to disagree with another person and yet respect and dignify the other person. If we're going to disagree with some person, then they have become our enemy. And that is running rampant in our culture. But none of those things are the things that most deeply concern me. What deeply concerns me is whenever I see those things infecting the church. When I see believers who are getting caught up 
in these divisions. When I see us losing sight of our calling in the world, and we, we, I see more and more as believers we're aligning ourselves with a particular political point of view, a particular political party, a particular side in all of these things. And, and I see believers getting caught up in this. I mean, just yesterday I saw, I saw a Facebook post from a, a, a pastor who's a friend of mine. And he posted this thing, and it said something like, if you wear a mask, then one of two things are true of you. You are either being deceived by socialism, or you are ignorant. And I just thought, brother, really? Do you see this coming into the church? I mean, as I was talking to my black brother, one of the things that he shared with me is he said, you know, I am more discouraged by white believers in my life than I am by even people out in the world. And that really, that really hit home with me. So what, what most concerns me is how I see divisions, the divisions in the world tempting the church and followers of Jesus into those same divisions. And that's what concerns me. So the question is, why is the church becoming so caught up in these divisions? And listen, it's, no, it's nothing new for the church to struggle with divisions, right? I mean, many of us have had experience in the church where a painful experience in your past was a deep fracturing in the church itself. So why? Of people called to unity, why, why do we get caught up in these divisions? Why do we get caught up in all this that is taking place in our lives? And I believe fundamentally it's because of this. In our culture, in particular, we so easily privatize the gospel. We individualize our faith. What I mean by that is that we make uh, following Jesus, we make the gospel only to be about my personal relationship with Jesus. We make the truth of the gospel to be only about me going to heaven when I die. And we fail to see its implications on our relationships with each other. We fail to see the implications of the gospel on how we live Monday through Saturday. We fail to see how what Jesus has done should shape our relationships with each other. To put it in one way, we think the gospel is only vertical. Us and God, my personal relationship with Jesus. And we fail to see the implications of the horizontal, our relationships with each other. And so whenever we come to our passage today, that is the focus of Paul is He wants us to see, listen, what Jesus has done and accomplished has tremendous impact on our relationships with each other. And what we see is that the gospel of Jesus is the only unifying power in the world. That's what we'll see in our passage. So let's jump in together. We're here, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Now, if you're familiar with the first part of this verse... You know that it has kind of a similar structure that we see here. The first part of the book of Ephesians, it is a wonderful passage. If This is one of those passages I often say, you know, you need to have passages that just so clearly show you the gospel that you can go back to over and over and over so that you can preach the gospel to yourself whenever you're doubting it. 
Well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is one of those passages. I mean, it's just so clear on what Jesus has done and accomplished and what it means personally for us in our relationship with God. And that is the focus and kind of the, 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 the order of that particular passage is he starts off with saying, this is what was true of you. But then there's a shift where he's kind of saying, but now this is what's true of you in Christ. This is what God has already done for you in Jesus. Now whenever we get to verse 11, he's doing a similar thing. He's saying, this is what was true of you, but now this is what is true of you in Jesus. This is now the implication of the gospel in your life. Now here's what's so amazing about this. In the first part of chapter 2, he's talking about our personal, uh, the personal implications of the gospel in our life. Here's what, this, here's what Jesus has done. Here's what it means for your relationship with God. But then, in the second part that we're looking at today, what he wants to say is, here how it is how it is to impact your relationships with each other. And where he starts here, in verse 11, is in talking about the ethnic divide that was occurring in the church. In fact, the greatest ethnic divide in the history of the world. So it's interesting for us. Here we see the Bible is addressing this reality of the differences in our ethnicities. That we have different ethnicities, that we have different races, that we, we come from different cultures. And it's acknowledging that, and he's speaking directly to that. Here's how the gospel unites us in spite of our differences. That's what the passage is about. But he starts here with what is the greatest ethnic divide in all of human history, and that is the divide between Jew and Gentile. Now, there's probably not one that we're very aware of, because we don't have a lot of Jewish people in our midst here. In fact, you know, Dade County is a pretty uh, monolithic kind of culture here. It's primarily white, so we're not around Jewish people, and so it's hard to see this divide that is here. But here's what makes this ethnic divide the greatest in all of history. It is because it is an ethnic divide that was in created intentionally by God. God created this divide. He set apart the Jewish people. He set apart the, the people of Israel. He called one person, Abraham, if you're familiar all with, at all with the Old Testament. God called a man named Abraham, and he made this promise to Abraham, and Abraham was in his 80s at the time, and God made this astounding promise. Abraham had no children, which in that day was essentially a death sentence. And he says to Abraham, listen, Abraham, I'm going to call you. You're going to be my man. I'm going to make your family as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bless the whole world, all the nations and ethnicities, ethnicities, it's kind of hard to say that, all the peoples of the world, I'm going to bless through your family. It's an amazing kind of promise. That's the story of the Bible. And so God calls Abraham and his family, that is the nation, that is the people of Israel. And their calling was to be set apart from the world. So God gives them the law, He gives them all these regulations, uh, all of these things that were intended to set them apart from the world 
in order that they might be carriers of God's salvation of the world. In order that you might see this people and how they live and their relationships with each other and their justice and their love and their unity. And the world would see that and they would be drawn to the God of Israel. That was the whole plan of the Old Testament. And so God created this divide, this ethnic divide between Jew and Gentile. A Gentile is simply a non-Jew. So that would include, I think, all of us in here. We are Gentiles. And so whenever Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus, he is primarily speaking to Gentiles. And he wants them to understand their ethnicity. And what their ethnicity would mean apart from the gospel. Now look at how he describes it here. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now by the way, circumcision was that mark. It was the primary marker for setting aside the people of Israel from all other nations in the world. God had given that, that mark to his people that, that through that it would set them apart. It would make them different. It would make them unique from all other peoples of the world. Now, this had become for Israel. Now, the reality, Israel was supposed to be this people that are carrying God's salvation to the world. In fact, it made them just the opposite. They were hoarding God's salvation. They felt superior because of all that God had given to them. They felt superior because of the law. They felt superior because they had circumcision. Because they had all of these different regulations. And they looked down on the nations of the world. And so that created a tremendous divide. And so Paul's referring that to here. He's like, remember, you used to be the uncircumcised. You used to be the outsiders to God. And that's who you were. And so God wants to bring them back to their reality before Jesus. He continues here, verse 12. Remember that at that time... Now this, this is some... This is some hard reality. This is some harsh reality for the Gentiles. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That was the reality. And so, so Paul wants them and us, we're Gentiles too, to understand that apart from Jesus, we were outsiders in every way. We, we were separate from the people of God, from the family of Abraham. We had no hope. We, we, had, we had none of the gospel promises, none of those privileges that the people of Israel had. That was our reality. And so Paul wants you to start there. Because whenever we realize where we were, it gives tremendous humility. And the real secret to unity and to, uh, to unity is humility. Is to remember where you were. And so that's where Paul brings us there. We were, we were outsiders. You know, we, we are in, ethnically in our culture, we're white. We are the majority people in the United States. So it's hard to really know what it feels like to be an outsider. Some of us still do though. In some areas of our life, you know what it's like to be an outsider. To be discriminated against. To be looked down on for different things. Maybe for what you have. Or what, what you look like. Or what you do for a living. Or what your last name is. I mean, many of us have experienced that in some way. 
But Paul starts in there and he says, remember, you were outsiders. You were excluded. You were apart from the people of God. But then look at verse 13. Here's that, but now. What two wonderful words those are. Paul loves to do that. Paul loves to say, this is what you used to be. And it's true, and it was bad. But now, here's what's true of you. But now, in light of the work of Jesus, in light of the gospel, here's what's true of you. So he's bringing gospel truth to bear on our hearts now. Verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, through union with Him, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. See, that is what the work of Jesus has accomplished. That we who were on the outside looking in, we who were separated from God, we who were apart from God's people, we who were alienated from God's people and God's family through the work of Jesus have been brought near, have been brought in. It's not, not based on what we have done, but entirely on the work of Jesus. That's what the gospel accomplished. We have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Look at verse 14. For He Himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace. What a huge statement. Not just that Jesus brings peace, but that literally He is our peace. Now the peace that it's referring to here, you know, in our culture, where we're racked by anxiety and a very therapeutic culture, whenever we see peace, we think of like inner peace. That's certainly an implication of the gospel, but it's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about literally peace in our relationships. That is peace between people who are otherwise estranged and divided because of ethnic differences or any other difference. Jesus, through his work on the cross, makes us one. He makes peace to people who formerly were divided and at war. And not just peace in the laying down of arms and we'll tolerate one another, but peace like in the sense of, in the Old Testament, peace comes from this word, this Hebrew word, shalom. That speaks to this just kind of universal flourishing in relationships and harmony with one another. Shalom is the way that things are supposed to be. Living together as one in perfect love. Is what Jesus is and what he accomplishes in us. So he himself is our peace who has made the two one. What two is he talking about here? He's talking about this greatest divide, Jew and Gentile, the two divisions of human history. And if you think about it, all of humanity can be divided into those two groups. There's all these other divisions that we have throughout history, but that's the ultimate one. In all of history, every single person who's ever lived falls into one of those two groups. But the work of Jesus on the cross has made the two one. He's united in all of our differences, in all the things that separate us. He has made us one. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now what's he talking about here? He's beginning to use some imagery from the temple. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you know that the temple was the place that God would come down to dwell with His people. It's the very special place where God's people came to meet with God and worship God. And God's very own Spirit would come to dwell in a very special place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. 
And in the temple, there was a series of courts that were divided by walls that separated one another. And the, the, the particular court that you could come into was determined on who you were. So if you were a priest, you could come into the holy place. But if you were uh, an Israelite and you had been purified through the regulations, then you could come into the, the court of God's people. And so you could be near to God's presence and you could worship Him. But then there was an outer court that was called the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles could come into that place and be somewhat close to God. But yet at the same time, it was a reminder, we're separate. We're still distant. There's still distance here. We are not on the inside. We are not where God's people is. We don't have those privileges. We're not the same as them. So that wall became a dividing wall that creates hostility among God's people. But you see what Paul's saying here? Jesus has brought down that wall. You know, one of the amazing things that we read in the Gospels at the cross, at the very end, as Jesus gives up His life, we're told that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. An amazing picture of the free access that we now have to the holy presence of God based entirely on the work of Jesus. So Paul here is saying that Jesus, through His flesh, through His body, through His life and His death, He's removed the barrier. He has brought down the wall. He has abolished or, or, or set aside, some of our translations say, the law with its regulations. You see, that's what separated Israel from the Gentiles. They had the law. They had the regulations. They had dietary laws. They had all of these laws uh, dictating how they were to live, how they were to be purified, and they were not to associate with those who were Gentiles and not been purified. And so all of those regulations that were intended to set them apart from the world, that they might be a light from the world, it actually became a barrier. It actually became something that the Jews used to look down on all of the people. And so it became a divider. And so what Jesus came to do through the gospel is He fulfilled it. All of the law. And by fulfilling it and accomplishing all that is required in the law, He has made us one. He's brought down the wall. We all have access, as He says in the passage here, we all have access to the Father through one Spirit. Whether you're Jew or Gentile or white or black or rich or poor or male or female, we're all in the same boat. We have free access to the Father through the work of Jesus. That makes us one. And then in verse 15, he says this, which is just a huge kind of statement about God's overall purposes through the work of Jesus in the world. Look at this in verse 15, second part of verse 15. He says, His purpose. That's a huge statement. So he tells us, hey, I'm about to tell you what Jesus' ultimate purpose in the gospel is. Here it is. You ready for it? Might not be what we would guess. His purpose was to create in Himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Now, some of our translations say one new humanity. And that's literally the sense in which He's getting at there. The purpose of Jesus in the Gospel was to create one new humanity out of two. In, in the midst of all of our 
divisions all in the midst of all of our differences, in the midst of all of our diversity, to make one new people unified perfectly. And to reconcile, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Gosh, it's so packed, you know. Paul's writings are so jam-packed with beauty and truth and significance. But here's the amazing thing for us to see here. Jesus came and went to the cross not just so that we can go to heaven when we die. That's an amazing privilege of the gospel. But that's not the ultimate purpose of the gospel. The ultimate purpose of the gospel is not even that you personally would have a relationship with God. It includes that. But according to Paul here, there's two dynamics to the purpose of the gospel. One is that we be reconciled to God. The other is that we be reconciled to one another. Do you see that? So I think oftentimes as we think about the Christian life, as we think about what God wants for us or how we're to live in our life, I think we think primarily about my individual relationship with God. Okay, I want to be a good person. I want to make sure I'm going to church and I'm reading my Bible and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm uh, you know, staying away from any bad habits or whatever else you have. I'm not, I don't drink, smoke, or chew or run with those who do. Whatever you think. We think of personal kind of righteousness. And for us, the way that we treat one another, the way that we're one with each other, our relationships with each other, if it factors in, it's a far distant second. You follow me? But what Paul's saying here is the purpose of Jesus is to make us into one people in all of our diversity. Not to erase diversity. Not to erase our differences. But to make us one in the midst of our differences. You see, that's the real miracle of the gospel. That's the real thing that the world will never explain. See, in the world, you can be one if you're like each other. That's what's natural in our hearts. I can be one with people who are like me. I can be one who like the things that I like. I can be one with dog fans. Right? It's not hard. I hear somebody's a bulldog. I'm like, that's a good person right there. I want to know them. Right? All these little things in the world, it's in our similarities that we can become one very naturally. But the miracle of the gospel is that we would have unity in the midst of our diversity. And here's the thing to see that Paul's saying here. Not just that unity is something that we're to go after and seek as God's people. He's telling us here it's a fact that has been achieved by Jesus. That's a huge point. Our unity is not something we're trying to achieve. It's something that has already been achieved in Jesus. So whether you like it or not, whether you experience it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you're living it or not, we are one. It's done. That's what he's saying. We are one with each other forever. Like it or not, better get used to it. And so that changes things. It's not something we're trying to build. It's something that we already have. And so what Paul calls us to do is to live into what we already are. 
There's a great story in Galatians chapter 2 that I think just illustrates this difference here, this divide between not living in light of what's already true. So in the early church, they really wrestled with this Jew-Gentile thing. In the early church, I mean, the church, they, they were Jews and Gentiles together in almost every church, and they were really struggling with this. And the big question was, well, wait a minute, you know, do Gentiles have to become like Jews in order to be fully accepted before God? That's a good question, right? You know, is it, do I just have to be united to Jesus or do I as a Gentile have to get circumcised and have to start keeping all of these regulations? And, and there began to be this teaching in the church that like, yeah, yeah, if, you're, if you just come to Jesus, like you're in, okay, you're safe. But if you really want to go to the next level and you really want to be like that superstar Christian, then you've got to start adopting the regulations of the law. That's if you really want to get to that next level. So the Jews are like, they're a little bit higher, higher up on the totem pole there. And it's creating all of this division and disunity in the church. And even Peter was struggling with it. There's this amazing place in the book of Galatians where Peter is in, he is with the churches in Galatia who are primarily Gentiles. And he was with them. You know, Peter was a Jew in every way. All of his life, he had never eaten anything unclean. I mean, he was the most devoted Jew you can imagine. And listen, nobody could get more religious than Jews. I mean, all they ever thought about was like being just, just spick and span clean before God. And so Peter had been set free by that through the gospel. And so he was with these Gentiles as if they were equal and they were eating together, enjoying fellowship together. But then these Jewish Christians came to visit from Jerusalem. You know what Peter began to do? He began to separate from the Gentiles. He began to pull back. Why did he do that? Because he began to treat them like being a Jew is a little bit higher up. He began to, to, to really care what those really special super-Christians who were Jewish Christians believed about it. And Peter was guilty of racism, of showing preference and prejudice based upon ethnicity and race. And what's amazing is that the Apostle Paul confronts him. Now just imagine this. I mean, you got Peter and Paul. That's the two biggest titans in the whole church. And you're in a group of people, and Paul calls Peter out. I mean, it'd be like, you know, some standoff in the Wild West here. It'd be like, whoa, you know, everybody's got their popcorn out. Like, what's going to happen here? Paul called out Peter? But he did. Paul calls out Peter in front of everybody. Why would he do it publicly? Because it was a public issue and the gospel was at stake. And Paul says to him, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile all the time. You live as if the only thing that makes you right before the Lord is the grace of Jesus. How is it now that you are forcing Gentiles to, to become Jewish? So he calls him out. He says, and here's what he says to sum it up. You are not living in line with the truth of the gospel. Now that is profound. Because Paul could have easily said, you know, you are being racist. Or you are being prejudiced, Peter. Or you are not being loving. And all of those things would have been true. But Paul didn't say that. 
Paul says, you are not living in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, your life is contradicting what is true of you in the gospel. You see, because here's the essence of the gospel. We are made right with God entirely by grace. Based on nothing we do. Listen, that is offensive. That is offensive to us who like to deserve and earn things. Right? But you cannot earn it. You can only receive it. You know what that does to all of your accomplishments and all of your goodness? It makes none of it matter to make you acceptable for God. And so if you've been trying really hard to be good, that is incredibly offensive. You see, the gospel says the only way that we're made right with the Father is entirely by grace, entirely by the work of Jesus. Grace destroys superiority. Grace undermines and cuts out anything that we would look to in our life for boasting. And that's what creates division in the world. Our boasting. Our, our, our taking something in our life and saying, this makes me more worthy. This makes me more valuable than you. And listen, we're always trying to do that. Our hearts are trying to do that. We want to look to something that we have, what we've accomplished, what we look like. If it's, you know, I'm a hard worker, or if, you know, I have a great figure, or if I come from this family, or if I'm of this race, you know, we're always very naturally in our hearts looking to something in this life to justify ourselves and to say, I, I matter because of this. And we look down on other people. It's a way of elevating ourselves. That's what creates division. You see, grace comes to us and it says the only way we come to the Father is entirely by grace. You know what that does? It levels the ground. The ground is level before the cross. There's nothing that we have or do that can make us more worthy and acceptable to the Father. You see, that is the ultimate power of unity. Ultimately, it is only the grace of the gospel that can make people one. And so as our world wrestles with all of these divisions, and we ought to care about that, the reality is none of the solutions the world is coming up with is ever going to create unity. Only the gospel of Jesus can do that. You see, the reality is, is if you're a follower of Jesus, we have the solution for the world. We have the unifying power of the cross and of the gospel. And so where Paul goes at the end of the passage is he brings us back and to say, this is your identity. And he says two things. You are in God's family and you are now this temple. It's amazing if you see that. Look in verse... 19, consequently, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Paul's saying, this is your reality. You are God's family together. Jew, Gentile, white, black, male, female, big, tall, doesn't matter, rich, poor. We are all God's family because we've been made that through Jesus. And then he moves on to this metaphor of the temple. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What an incredible image. 
Paul says, listen, you are the temple. Now, we say this all the time, right? As a church, we say the church is not something to which you go. It is a people who go. Bam, right here, right? I didn't just make that little jingle up. It's true. We're not a building. We're not even a service. We're not even something. Church is not something that happens one hour every week on a Sunday morning. We are the church. We are the temple. Not a physical building, but a spiritual building. And we all, like living stones, Peter uses the same metaphor, and he says, like living stones. We're all living stones. Each stone looks different. You know, it's got a different hue, a different color, a different shape, a different size. And yet God is the master builder is just fitting us all together in all of our diversity, in all of our quirks and hang-ups, in all of our sizes, in all of our backgrounds. He's just fitting it together as a perfect builder. Building this beautiful temple up into full maturity in which God would come to dwell in by His Spirit. It's in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple. It was only temporary. It was just a little physical simple symbol to point you to the real thing. This is the real thing. This is the real thing. As imperfect and messy as it is, you see, that is the power of God in the Gospel. That He would take a people as awkward and diverse as we are and would make us into His very own temple. That He might fill with the Spirit. So the thing to see here is that we are one. And that God's purpose is to make us into this one unified temple that He fills with His Spirit so that we might bear witness to the world of the only place that unity comes. Our world longs for unity. It longs for unity. And listen, there's so many solutions. Some in our world say, hey, we have to sanitize our language. Political correctness. Or we have to remove all the statues. We, we have all these solutions of ways to try to get the oneness. Or even some people would say we have to just exclude everybody else. That's how we get one. And the gospel comes in and says, no, 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 none of that's going to work. Here's the one thing that will work. The grace of the cross of Jesus. Nothing disarms us and unites us like that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is really hard, I think, for us to take these truths and to get them down out of just our heads and out of the clouds. I think the reality is we think so often theology and the Word and church things, those are like private life things. Those are things that don't really apply to Monday morning and to my coworkers. And to my neighbor, to our relationships with each other, to the needs we see around us. Lord, but would you help us to see that the gospel has the power to transform every area of our life? And would we be a church, would we be a people who bring every area of our lives in line with the truth of the gospel? Come and work that in us as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.